Hey everyone. So if you choose to do these assessments, these five tests that we outline in the uh, upcoming episode, you can see visual cues of them and see us actually performing the tests. Just click on, click on that link in the show notes right as soon as you open the podcast. All right. Welcome back to Building a Fighter. Uh, this is episode 22. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, uh, sports chiropractor from Scottsdale, Arizona, as well as strength coach and a wrestling coach for Siege MMA and Fight Ready MMA for the pro team. With me, as always, I have Alex Friedman, badass strength coach from Denver, Colorado. Um, today, we're going to be talking about trying to give you five different assessments that are directly applicable tomorrow to benefit your combat sports training, as well as any of your fighters that you have to be coaching. Yeah, no, I think we got a really good episode. Uh, we were getting really excited about the assessments that we, we kind of put together that we implement in our practice and being able to, to share that with you guys and have you uh, mold them over and actually see what benefits or, or what detriments you can find out about in your own training and uh, then devote some more quality time to those specific areas. So uh, without further ado, we'll get into our, our five assessments that again, we, uh, we think are very actionable on, on your end and very implementable um, tomorrow if you have access to gym and, and you've been training. Um, so we both agreed that first and foremost, we want to test a, a strength level and see if um, you're as an athlete, check that box and we mark that box because that's our foundational quality to a lot of other things that we express as an athlete. The first test is a three rep max on the trap bar deadlift. Okay, So with the trap bar, we're uh, loading it up as heavy as we can for three clean reps. Okay, And when I say clean reps, that's part of the assessment too. We're looking at where biomechanically in your body are you are you failing first you know is it is it your t-spine where you can't hold a retracted position you start rounding your back is it your lumbar spine is it the grip is it maybe uh anterior versus posterior chain uh dilemma or problem so we're watching biomechanically for the movement there we're obviously looking at how much weight's on the bar um, to see if you can check that magic number of two uh two and a half times body weight um, that is kind of a standard measure of strength in, in my book. Um, three times body weight would be phenomenal, but if we can get to that 2.5 times body weight on the trap bar for three reps, that's, uh, that's mighty impressive. Well, and 2.5 times the body weight, uh, me and Alex were talking over the show, Ryan Flaherty, who's a master trainer with Nike, he's one of their heads of performance. He did a bunch of studies on all the athletes that Nike has at their disposal, which we all know are a lot of athletes. Um, and one of the main ones was uh, the Williams sisters, Serena and Venus. And they were, what he was able to show is the direct ratio of your, the magic number is what he calls it, is that 2.5 times on the trap bar compared to your body weight. So if you're beneath that, then you're leaving strength on the table. So you're not strong enough to then be able to move at a higher velocity or get to that fat-free mass. If you're above that, say you're at three times, then you have more mass than needed and you're not going to be able to move it as fast as you possibly can. So according to what, what Ryan Flaherty did and the studies that he had done that were actually extremely well done, um, in my opinion, that, that's what he was talking about with that magic 2.5 times your body weight of the trap bar deadlift. Yeah, it really optimized your power. I mean, that power is, is one of the biggest aspects, one of the biggest physical qualities in the, the fight game. So power is definitely necessary and it's important to know where you're at on that sliding scale or that spectrum of utilizing your uh, optimal power. 
Um, but lastly, and a big point within the uh, trap bar deadlift is we're checking for core stability as well. Are you able to maintain um, that rigid position through your trunk and through your, your different joint stabilizations to effectively lift the weight and not just, you know, get it up by whatever means possible, uh, possible. We're looking at the ability to create a lot of intradominal pressure to solid up your core. And then that transfers again into your striking and your, um, your punching power or your ability to stabilize within that. And range rigidity, all the good stuff. Um, moving on from that, uh, the, another test that uh, it's going to be part of the building a fighter assessment that we do is going to be the low bear liftoff. Now this is a test that I, that I do a lot in my own clinic. Um, I do it a lot on the combat athletes just in order to check a couple different things. The first one being scapular winging. So checking to see if they have scapular stabilization compared to where their spine is and compared to the rib cage. The next thing is going to be keeping a neutral pelvis while we go through the movements. And then the last thing being contralateral stability. So checking a stability pattern through the body. So getting into what the test does, the test is going to be in a low bear position. So you're on your hands right underneath your shoulders. So 90 degrees of shoulder flexion. And then we're going to get into the hips and the knees are going to be at 90 degrees as well. So you're in that low bear. You tuck your toes underneath and you lift your knees off. From here, we're going to go three sets clockwise, then three sets counterclockwise, lifting up one hand or one leg at a time. So it would be left hand, back down, right hand, back down, right leg, back down, left leg, back down. And then the opposite, obviously, is per counterclockwise. So left leg, right leg, right hand, left hand. The first thing, like I said, we're looking at, when they get into that low bear position, is there any sort of scapular winging? So what that means is that their rib cage cannot come up to their shoulder blades. So there's a big old dip, or sometimes you can actually fit your hand underneath their shoulder blade in between the shoulder blade and the rib cage. So that's indicative of them not being able to stabilize their shoulder girdle. And that can lead to problems with their shoulder and with their stability down the road. And on top of that, also the power generation and being able to punch. The next thing we're looking at is going to be the neutral pelvis. So when they're lifting off and actually going through the movements, can they keep their pelvis as flat as possible? So if I put a water glass on top of their sacrum or on top of their tailbone, it does not fall. And that's something that you can do with a tennis ball. You can do with a... Um, with one of those little like one pound balls you can do it with a bunch of different implements yeah and i i always use the analogy depending on what um what population i'm coaching whether it's you know high school or college uh, athletes i talk about you know a glass of water to a cup of coffee to um some of my more adult clients or some professional mma fighters you can talk about a, a glass of whiskey on their back right and i honestly sometimes i throw my phone on their tailbone and i say you better not fucking break my phone <laughs> I've actually used a shaker bottle full of, uh, of a protein shake and said, don't spill this or, or, um, I've used cones as well. So just a light, um, I don't know, disc cone and throw it on their back just to see where it goes or, or implement that with your bear crawls as well. Yep. And then going into the last, the last major part of this assessment is going to be checking the contralateral stability. So when you lift up, so say I'm lifting up the left hand. In order for me to stay extremely stable, so my shoulders don't move, my trunk doesn't move, my hips don't move, my right hand and my left foot need to be active in order to maintain that rigidity through, this, through the entire system. 
So whether you're talking about your posterior oblique sling, whether you're talking about your anterior oblique sling, whether you're talking about just the pattern in general, which is what I call contralateral stability, we need that element because it's an extremely important element in MMA. Think about uh, the perfect example of this is Khabib when he's able to bundle up legs and then still be able to strike. That's a fantastic example of this contralateral stability, being able to control legs and dissociate the upper body from the lower body while still having trunk stability and generating force. So it all kind of ties together with the real world applications of think about your top game in jujitsu. Think about your top game when you're ground and pounding. Think about being able to finish a wrestling shot from time to time, finishing a double leg. All this comes back to the same pattern, which is loaded contralateral stability. Yeah, 100%. And I even think about back to uh, my wrestling days and a, a few different grappling tips. You know, you're always moving with your hands and your legs at the same time, or at least good grapplers are um, working at multiple points of contact. And that, that's really hard to do if you don't have a stability pattern to maintain position, like you're going to easily get swept or fall off balance on your own. Um, you need to be able to create that stability. That way you can work where you want to work or distract where you want to distract. Well, and it's the, it's the age old adage that is stability precedes mobility, right? Trunk stability before distal mobility. So you need to be able to stabilize the trunk and stabilize that pattern. And that allows you to think about like a snap down. If I snap somebody's head to the right, I better move my goddamn leg out of the way or they're going to just shoot on my leg. So if I snap down to the right, I got to move my right leg out of the way. So it's, but all of that, again, like Alex is saying, comes from that trunk stability, allowing my arms to then move separately and make their own patterns along with the leg. Right. And then, so getting into our third test, we wanted to round this out with um, a lot of different qualities. And with our, in our five tests, we look at uh, mobility, stability, strength, power. And then this one is more about the energy system. Um, development and within specifically our alactic system. So not using oxygen, creating as much power as we can um, over a very short period of time. So looking at how long we can sustain that short burst of energy, short burst of striking, short, um, short bursts, and looking at also how high that capacity is. Can we produce more power than our peers uh, within that six to eight seconds? Um, and that's when we took a, a test um, from the UFC uh, performance institute where i interned uh, a while back and i really like this test because we get two measures out of it we get a measure of our um, alactic power capacity so how much wattage can you create within that six to eight um, second time frame and then we also get a decrement over time is how much does that power get affected by fatigue level and so what the test is is a very simple on an airdyne or a watt bike um, or a specific resistance machine, we look at six seconds sprinting max effort going all out, trying to, again, ramp up as much wattage as you can, and then taking that maximal number, writing it down, recording it somewhere, or Austin had the really good tip, you can just put your phone over your shoulder or, or record the, the screen of that implement, and then look back at it. That way you're not worried about timing during your test and recording all your wattage or if somebody's there to help you. So six seconds, max out all effort um, sprinting, 30 seconds of rest, back into six seconds, max out effort. Um, and you're going to repeat that cycle 10 times, which is, is quite fun if you've ever done it before. Well, and I think it's important to note that it, like what you're saying, it should suck if you're doing it right. Right. But if you don't know how to use that system, if you don't know how to use the energy system that we're going after right here, it, you could make it a walk in the park if you really wanted to. 
but that's right. not going to benefit you. It's not going to give you right the correct numbers. Yeah, it's it's that true realization and actualization of going balls out for those six seconds. Um, and again, so um, you take within your first one or two trials, you're going to get your max um, power output, your max wattage. That's pretty cemented. Very few people are going to hit that max number at the uh, the lower end of the trials, which again is another indication of not knowing how to use that energy system or just playing out being bad at it. Um, but there should be kind of a leveled um, fall off there. And we're looking at how much that happens. And we can almost equate that or look at that from an injury uh, systems perspective as how much your power degrades during a fight. Um, and so just looking at that, we see how it transfers loosely. Do you know off the top of your head what a good percentage uh, decrease would be? Because you know, because I think a good point to mention, like you were saying, is there's always going to be that decrement. There's always going to be a decrease. Yeah or you're not using the right energy system, or you're not pushing yourself enough. I remember, uh, I remember specifically what a really bad number is, um, because that was me. Um, but me <laughs> and, and Clint Wattenberg at the, the uh, UFC, we had a contest to see who could get the most drop-off, uh, which is a, a really bad. And I think we were both somewhere around 48, 49% drop-off, which is really bad. But I, I think what we settled in is, is a number in the 20s is fairly average. And if you get lower 20s, that's better. So 20% okay. decrease. So you take your top number, your highest power output, your lowest power output, the difference, and then divide that back into your highest number. And that, that'll give you your percent uh, drop off. Okay, sweet. Perfect. That, that's a good thing to have the objective numbers <laughs> and being able to test this tomorrow. Yep. Uh, yeah, the, important. Heck yeah. Uh, the fourth thing that we're going to get through um, is going to be a another mobility screen uh, or mobility stability screen, um, very similar to the uh, low bear liftoffs, but this is going to be a side lying sweep or a side lying shoulder sweep. So what you're going to be doing, um, you're going to be laying on your side, your knees and hips are at 90 and your shoulders stacked on top of each other. So you're laying in almost like a, like a human chair, if you will. From here, your arms are going to be out front at 90 degrees, and you're going to take your top hand and try to trace a half circle above your head until your hands are opened up at 180 degrees and your fingers stay on the ground, okay? So think about your opening up kind of like you're pulling back, or at the end of the movement, you should be bottom leg, or your right knee, if you're on your right side, is on the ground, and both hands on the ground along with your shoulder blades. So you're opening up to the sky. What we're going to check for this is we're going to check our thoracic spine rotation. So being able to move through the mid-back, which is so important for our striking sports and our grappling sports, to be honest, um, as well as the pliability of the anterior oblique sling, which helps us with power generation and being able to then generate the, the punching power through or the kicking power through. And lastly, it's going to check, are we compensating through the lumbar spine or the low back to increase our mobility up top? So because of this, I don't really care if you can get to that full end range and get to the entire, the entire movement in if you're doing it by that overarching of the low back, if you're cheating in, in the bottom half of your spine. Right. It, ma it matters how you get there, right? Not exclusively that you can or can't. Uh, the movement um, capability or ability and the how behind uh, what your body's doing is important. Exactly. So for 
like observable metrics when you're trying to do this on your own, if you're videotaping it, I want you to try to keep your rib cage over your pelvis the entire way through the movement. So as you're tracing your hand on the ground and opening up, getting that chest to the sky, I want you to focus on not arching through the low back and keeping your rib cage over your pelvis, trying to make that pop can and not denting your pop can in the back. Okay. So that's the first step. The second thing that we're going to be testing is going to be that anterior oblique sling pliability. So how well can you keep your bottom knee on the ground with your shoulder, with that far side shoulder blade? So if your right side is down, how well can you keep your right knee down and keep your left shoulder blade on the ground? So just to clarify for a second, Austin, too, the, the top leg is just stacked on top of the bottom leg. It's just right there with it at the 90 degree. Yep. hundred percent. That's my bad. Okay. Yep. That's so it's going to be, yeah, both knees, both knees and both hips at 90 degrees. Right. Um, but yeah, so what this is going to do. So in order for us, think about our anterior oblique sling, like a rubber band, right? Um, a great example of this is like baseball pitchers, but baseball pitching, it could be argued that a, a pitch is very similar to throwing a punch as well. Just the muscles and, and the muscles and the recruitment needed. So when we think about the anterior oblique sling, we, a rubber band needs to be able to maximally stretch to then maximally shoot forward right? If you only are able to pull it back 50%, you're only going to get 50% output. So we need to be able to make sure that we can get that pliability, be able to get that stretch in order to then get the highest output of a strike possible to increase that likelihood of force and power generation. So the way we check this is keeping that stacking of the lumbar, the lumbar spine, like we already talked about, can you keep the bottom knee attached with that end range, both shoulder blades on the ground. Right. Last thing, oh, what up? Oh, I was going to say, I just think that that's usually important to be able to accomplish that range of motion, but then also not compensate uh, through it. And exactly how you're, you're, demonst- or you're describing about compensation, but seeing that pattern and then seeing how it transfers into even more high level movements. Like if we're throwing a punch in, we're arching through our lumbar spine because we lack that T-spine. If we're doing that repetitively all the time, that's going to create reoccurring and then um, overuse injuries, right? So checking this through the this straight up mobility test has a lot of far-reaching implication. Well, that and you're also going to get less power too. Like I, uh, a real world example is one of my fighters just fought for an LFA title and the guy he was fighting ends up lunging on his right hand a lot. So when he would throw his cross, he would lunge and he would arch his low back in that lunge. We immediately were not, at least me personally, was not afraid of the right hand because I know you can't generate as much power on that. You can't snap that. You can't get as much power behind that. While it is going to be a damaging punch, it's not going to be as much as it can be. So I knew that Bryce would be able to move to that right side and be able to then throw his hook, throw a check hook, be able to get inside of that because that right hand isn't going to damage him as much as say his, this, this other kid's left check hook that was he threw with perfect form and he, he kept that cylinder stacked. So bringing this, this screen into a real world application, you can see this when watching fights, which is extremely cool. And then the, the last thing of the screen is going to be thoracic spine mobility, which everybody, everybody in the world knows we need as strikers, right? If you don't have thoracic spine mobility, if you can't rotate through that mid back, then either your low back, which we already talked about, or your shoulder are going to get chewed up because they need to compensate. You're going to, you're going to throw the punch no matter what, right? Like whether it's you arch to the low back to get there, like this guy we talked about, or you wing the punch and you don't have the scapular stabilization, or you just eat up 
your labrum on the inside, which a lot of y'all listening have labral tears. I hate to break it to you, but, but being able to move through that thoracic spine is extremely important. And you can see this by being able to get your looking up to the sky, both shoulder blades on the ground, and then the knees on the ground as well. So like the end goal of everything, if you have good form, then you have that thoracic spine mobility. If you're limited, say you feel like there's a brick in your mid back as you're going through the movement, or there's like a stick point, then that's where you need to work on that range. Maybe hold that range for a second or two with a couple breaths and focus on trying to push past that sticky point. Yeah. And and being super minutely detailed in all of that and making sure that that you're aware of your body or you have somebody helping you check out where you're actually moving and what's actually happening. But that plays right yeah, send us videos. We will analyze Honestly, them. Honestly, yeah, let us help you. Send us, send us the videos. If you do the screen, send it to our DM or post it or tag us or whatever, and we'll be able to help because guess what? We're the ones that are making the screen. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do, right? <laughs> yeah. But no, what we're talking about with the T-spine mobility is going to play right into what is our, our fifth and final assessment, and it tests that rotational power that you're creating through when you're striking or through when you're throwing a punch. So our last test is a stand, standing med ball rotational punch. And so what, what that test is, is we're going to take a light implement. So a med ball, which is eight to 10 to 12 pounds. You're going to stand in your fighting stance. You're going to have one hand back, which is your cross hand, your power hand, right? And then we're going to rotate and load up on that side, kind of intentionally what you're not supposed to do when you throw a punch. We're going to rotate, load up, and then you're going to explode and punch that backhand through, throwing the med ball as far as you can for a maximal effort. So again, we'll take that ball, rotate, load up, and this is all one quick, fast movement where I load up in a spring and I punch through and I throw the med ball as far as I can. We'll record that distance and see if we can improve on that through our training or um, what the difference is side to side. And, And we all have differences side to side, but we'll test this on both sides and see what the maximal power output is on that. And again, we're looking at total body power through that because your feet are pushing through the ground. You're pushing all the way through your hand, much like you would strike in MMA. Um, it closely resembles a single arm punching mechanic. So we're looking at the ability to, um, create power through that specific, um, biodynamic pattern. And then we're also, again, looking at more of an ipsilateral pattern, which is, um, more of a striking based pattern. So you're rotating with both your right hip and your right shoulder at the same time versus rotating contralaterally. Like we talked about with the low bear position, which is your opposite arm and opposite leg stabilizing. So more of that ipsilateral pattern and looking how much power we can express through that. Well, and I love this test too, because it, it lets you know what it, a, it's fun. Yeah, Who right. doesn't like throwing heavy med balls? Um, and B, this is something that realistically you can do every month and check your progressions, right? If you're moving on the right path and you're, you're moving along and say you got a building a fighter program or say you're doing whatever you so choose and trying to get, get as strong or as powerful as possible, this is something that's so easy to go do. You just bring a tape measure, you get an eight-pound med ball, and boom, you run through the screen. And you do that three times on each side to check for validity. Yeah, man, and that's so easy. Most high-performance um, strength conditioning centers or high-performance centers as a turf. Turf usually comes along with yard markers, so you can just measure it right there, how, how many yards were you able to throw the med ball. Um, and all of these tests should be easily implementable. Um, I think that's one of the um, core principles that we were after when we created this screen or when we were just brainstorming it 
is to make this accessible and for everybody to be able to do on their own. And again, hopefully we get to consult or we get to watch you do some of these assessments or you have a strength and conditioning coach that's, that's doing it for you. But again, access and easily implementable has been kind of the goal with this assessment. Right. Cause not everybody has a $2,000 gym aware. Not everybody has uh, like the VBT. Not everybody has a verse climber. There's all these different things that while I love using certain things or like a K box and all this stuff, I love using certain things, but not everybody has access to it. So making the screen as, as I guess financially decreased or like as little financial input as possible, is going to benefit you guys for the long run. 100%. And one thing, one last thing I want to hit on before we, we wrap it up or when we're looking at this test, if you're going to go out and implement these five assessments tomorrow, kind of like we're talking about, or, or start to perform at them and just test yourself, um, what I would hit on is the order in which you do the tests. And, and that can be a whole thing in itself. But essentially, we just don't want to make you too fatigued so that the rest of your tests are affected by, you know, maybe doing the sprint repeat first because that's going to tax you out. So um, the proposed order that I, I would go through this test is we, we start with the mobility, the sideline shoulder sweep. Um, and then I would go to the low bear liftoff, which is the next least taxing. Um, third, I would do the standing med ball rotational punch. So throwing the med ball, which again is max power, going to be less taxing. Three rep max on your trap bar deadlift. That's your fourth test. And then lastly, I would do the sprint repeat again, saving some of that energy so you're not gassed for the rest. Of also, I think it's it's good to mention that there should be some time between your your bouts of your three rep max as well as your three times through of the standing med ball punch. Right. So you should, you should allow yourself full time for recovery because that's going to increase the validity of what you're doing. We want to make sure that we're getting reliable results. If you do three med ball throws within one minute, how reliable is that going to be on your max power output? Probably not as reliable as you would like it to be. So focusing on being able to recover, say, uh, Alex, uh, this, you made the test. So realistically, like two minutes, you know. two minutes. Yeah, I mean, I, I give yourself at least 90 seconds, um, being a little bit practical. If you want to be more conservative and really look at a maximal effort with your power, I, I would give yourself three to five minutes. Um, but again, not everybody has 20 minutes to do one out of five tests. So at least 90 seconds, let yourself, you know, walk home and get the ball, come back to your starting position, make sure that you're you're not, you know, breathing heavy and you're not feeling fatigued um, and then run back up to it. So, and same goes for the three max on the trap bar. You need time to recover and re replenish your creatine stores before you jump right back into a maximal effort again. So yeah. And please, Take your time please, with don't, it. please don't just start at your three rep max. Please work your <laughs> way up to it. Cause I feel like I shouldn't have to say that, but I know I need to because I've seen what some of my fighters do. Oh man. Yeah. All these small little things that, that all come together at the end here. So, so yeah, warm up, make sure you, you got everything going and hopefully you'll be somewhat warm before, uh, by doing that med ball toss, but definitely warm up sets on the trap bar, uh, for sure. Sweet. So like we said, like I said, during the podcast, if you guys do these, if you guys do happen to do these five screens, please take videos of it. Um, if you need any help figuring out what it looks like, um, or figuring out what, what the actual results of this tests are, please send them our way. We're always happy to help um, or just tag us on Instagram. That would help us out a bunch. Thank you all for listening. If you have any questions at all on the screens, why we pick them um, or anything in general, please shoot us a message or a DM. So the email and the DMs are going to be in the show notes. Um, and like I said, 
Thank you all for listening to Building a Fighter. This is Dr. Austin Shane. Thank you all. Excited for you. See you all later.